Our Old Testament reading today is from the book of Amos, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Woe to those who are at ease in Zion, and to those who feel secure on the mountain of Samaria, the notable men of the first of the nations, to whom the house of Israel comes. Pass over to Kalna and see, and from there go to Hamath the Great. Then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than your territory, O you who put far away the day of disaster and bring near the seat of violence? Woe to those who lie on beds of ivory and stretch themselves out on their couches and eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall, who sing idle songs to the sound of the harp, and like David, invent for themselves instruments of music, who drink wine and bowls and anoint themselves with the finest oils, but are not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they shall now be the first of those who go into exile, and the revelry of those who stretch themselves out shall pass away. The Lord God has sworn by himself, declares the Lord, the God of hosts, I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his strongholds, and I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. The word of the Lord. Today's psalm is Psalm 37, 1 through 11. We will read responsively by whole verse. Fret not yourself because of the ungodly, neither be envious of those who are evildoers. Put your trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land, and surely you shall be fed. Commit your way unto the Lord and put your trust in him and he shall bring it to pass. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not grieve yourself over the one whose way prospers, over the one who carries out evil counsels. For evildoers shall be rooted out, but those who wait patiently for the Lord, they shall inherit the land. But the meek spirited shall possess the land and shall be refreshed with an abundance of peace. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And our New Testament reading today is 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, sisters and brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. 
Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. The word of the Lord. Our gospel lesson this morning is taken from the Gospel of Luke, the sixth chapter, beginning in the twelfth verse. Will you please stand for the reading of the gospel? Church, this is the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. These days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and he continued all night in prayer to God. And when day had come, he called his disciples, and he chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles, Simon, who he called Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he went down from them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear and be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes onto the disciples. And he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who, hungry, who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and when they revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did for the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so did their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on one cheek, offer the other one also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your shirt either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, so you do to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? 
for even sinners do the same. And if you lent to those from whom you'd expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But I say, love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please be seated. We're privileged to have David Rucker come and open up God's Word for us today. Thanks, David. Oh, thank you, Jay. Let's pray. Lord, we um, are just so thankful that we sinners can come to you in hope, not just trembling. God, because you have forgiven those who hated you or your enemies. On the cross, you cried out to your Father, forgive them. Forgive David Rucker. He does not know what he's doing. Lord, may we follow your example into this world to be a witness to a great, loving God. And Lord, I pray that you would help me today to do the work you have given me to do. Speak through me, Lord. Use me. Open our ears to hear your words, not my voice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Morning, friends. I have a confession to make, and that's a, start, a tough way to start out a sermon, but this is a humbling moment. I'm going to open with a confession. I'm thankful Jason, my son, is not here because I don't want to confess this in front of him, frankly. Um, uh, the confession is this. I don't understand memes. Okay? I have been trying to understand memes. I have asked Jason 20... 50 times. Jake, explain this to me. I won't ask him anymore because he just looks at me. I haven't got the foggiest. I, don't, I, I shouldn't say that. I sort of have a foggy idea. I want to take a chance today that maybe I have a meme or maybe I don't. You're gonna, you will uh, be the judge of that. But um, let me start out with a meme or a metaphor or just an example that I live by now. I have a very good, very good friend back in Pittsburgh. His name is Brian. Brian will no doubt be listening to this. Hey, Brian, how you doing? Um, Brian is, uh, was a parishioner of mine, and he's, a, he's young 30s, and we've become fast friends. He's one of my best friends now. I'm not his pastor any longer. I'm just his friend in Christ. I'm his friend, and he's mine. I know Brian would do anything for me. And I hope I will do anything for him. I hope you'll see him someday because he'll be visiting with us, no doubt. And I, I hope you'll, you'll be able to come here and see him and visit with us. And if you do see him, you'll recognize him immediately. He's going to be the one with crutches. Brian has cerebral palsy. And I have witnessed him struggle with that particular disability now and just admired him in that disability. Uh, Brian, uh, Brian was, has been in church most of his life probably because I know his mom very well and she's an incredible witness to Christ. But he really, I think he would testify that he really came to Christ in these last few years where I 
he and I became good friends. And we had many conversations and I wound up just sort of witnessing to him and not just preaching at him. And Brian shared with me one time uh, something very important because I witnessed Brian's life changing and I witnessed him being a witness to Christ out into the world. Now it's funny, what can Brian, who is very, he's very much cerebral palsy, crutches, I've seen him shovel driveways, I've seen him bless people that, it's just like, Brian, who are you? This is incredible, and he is. And it's not because of him, it's because God, God is in him. And he testifies to this new life in Christ that allows him just to be for people. I want to reference this back towards the end of our sermon, but there's a very specific call that I believe that the Book of Common Prayer and Anglicanism calls us to better than any other uh, branch of Christianity that I've seen. It's the very last petition in our, in, our, or in our Sunday service, the very last prayer petition simply says this, and now, Father, send us out into the world to do the work you have given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. Too many times I think Christians think we gotta go to seminary or we gotta go mission trips or we gotta build houses for habitat. We might do all those things, but the real question is daily, my life, Lord, will I go out to love and serve you as a faithful witness in whatever you have for me in this world. That's where faith really gets lived out. That's where our witness is observed and that's what Brian testifies to his life. I asked Brian one time, I said, so, so Brian, Tell me about the change that's taken place for you. Because he'll testify. He's a very different person now than he was three or four years ago. And he said this to me. He said, David, because of my disability, and, and trust me, he has no, there's no sympathy needed for him. He is comfortable in his skin. He is, challenges me in that. But he said, David, I learned growing up to not look at people. So I would kind of keep, when I'm approaching people, I would keep my eyes down. I didn't, I didn't know what they thought. I didn't want to think. I just kept my eyes down. That's what I learned. He said, and then when I started becoming a real Christian, I thought, oh, I'm supposed to keep my eyes up. Praising God, looking for God. He said, and then it, then it came to me through our discipleship that what I need to do is look people in the eye. I gotta look and see people. And he said, and when I started doing that, when I took my eyes off the ground, and when I, and when I, when I pretended to divert up to God, what I was really doing was diverting my own insecurities or the other, the same thing was at play. When I took that down and cast my eyes and looked at people, he said, I saw them. And seeing them, I could see needs. And God just helped me to be there for people in their needs. Brian looks into the eyes of people and sees them. Jesus today is, uh, there's a 
real similar, this is very similar to the teaching in, in Matthew of uh, the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount and Beatitudes. I personally, there's different, there's disagreement. I personally think these are two different teachings. I do not think this is the same as the Sermon on the Mount. I think this is two different teachings, and one of which is because one is, has Jesus up on a height teaching, and this one has Jesus on the plane, on the level. And in this teaching, he's actually doing what Brian said. He's coming down and he's meeting us, looking at us in the eyes. But just as importantly, if we would allow ourselves to look up from the ground, because it's not just Brian that casts our eyes down, or if we, if we don't act like we're going to divert ourselves up into some holy worship that's really just another form of insecurity. If we were to meet Jesus here and look at him in his eyes, we would know Jesus. Now, I want to say that again. Make no mistake. God already knows us. He doesn't have to look into our eyes to know me. I was, hey guys, yay, welcome. Uh, we, uh, God does not have to look into our eyes to know us. Hey Jay, I just realized, brother, I didn't, I didn't start my clock. Okay, starting right now. The, uh, the uh, so somebody time. Yeah, right. The, uh, uh, the uh, Jesus doesn't have to look us to know us. He, he knows us from, before the foundation of the earth was created. He knows my days. He already knows there's a time appointed for all of us. I, he knows the time and date of my last breath. He knows the date that he will embrace me on the other side of this struggle. He knows those dates. He knows my heart better than I know it. But the one thing that we lack is do we really know Jesus? And the reason why I brought up the word meme earlier was not because I wanted to confess something silly. It's because I wanted us to be aware that sometimes we act like we know more than we really do in our hearts. I'm not going to confess to my son, Jason, maybe he won't listen, that I don't know what memes anymore. As far as Jason knows, I'm an expert on memes now because I'm not, going to have, I'm not going to have him know that I don't understand what he's talking about. But that's just a picture of us not having understanding of what Jesus is calling us to. How many times have we said we're called to follow Jesus? We're called to die to self. We're called to love our enemies. And yet we really don't have the slightest idea what those words mean. That's the reason why I brought it to me, actually. Because sometimes we have to confess, and it's okay to confess. God, I really don't know what it means to follow you. I really don't know what it means to love my enemies and to die to self. But here's what we know. And this is building off of Jay's preaching uh, recently, well, beginning with Luke. That's what Jesus calls us to. Two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, I may have it mixed up, but two weeks ago, Jade shared with us 
the opening of Jesus's ministry from Luke's perspective, okay? Which was where he goes into the synagogue. This is, uh, and, and he reads from the scroll, Isaiah 61. He talks about the captives being set free and the poor. And Jesus says to the, this day, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Jesus opens up his ministry in Luke with this proclamation of God's concern for the world. If you go to uh, Matthew, actually, the, the book opens up with um, uh, Jesus coming out and, and announcing that the kingdom of God is at hand and we have to repent and follow him. Both these things work together. They have different purposes in writings. It's not important, which is chrono chronologically first. The important point is God's doing all these different things. He's telling us to repent, to follow him. And then later on, he'll give another word that says, love as I have loved you. And this, in, in today's reading, it's, it's all about meeting people on the plane and looking into their eyes. And they can look into his eyes and know whether he is good or not. And he says, we, we gonna, you know, what is your priorities? And I'm going to come back to that in just a few minutes and briefly talk on those Beatitudes. But the point of it is that Jesus meets us here and, and he's calling us to a new way of life. I'll repent or follow me. Oh, and love even your enemies. And Jesus starts his church. He says, Peter, who do, uh, who do you think I am? Peter says, you're the Christ. And he says to Peter, well done, Peter. You didn't figure this out. My Father who is in heaven revealed this to you. And upon this revealed truth, upon this truth of who I am, this, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then when he sends the church out, Matthew, what, 28, I think it is, he, he sends it out in these directions. Go out into the world, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. In other words, follow my mission you are now the inheritors of my work but you don't go alone i and my father will be with you now will you go who will be my church who will go who will follow me into this mission of revealing who i am to the world Who will go? Who will go? When um, this is a personal thing, and I don't expect this to mean anything to any other location on earth, but the last church work I did in Pittsburgh was to f ask God to help us create a new church because I had failed. Everybody hear that? I had failed in my work at the previous work, very hard. And I thought I, we should just disband and I should send the people there who were strong leaders and we should send them out to the rest of the, to the church to plant, to be part of the uh, disbursement, you know? But he came to me and said, no, David, we disagree with that. God is at work here. You just have to find what he's doing and, and lead us. So I went and I offered a simple prayer. God, will you, if I do everything in my power 
to submit to you, will you build your church through us? And, and will you help me to hear your voice? Well, to make a long story, a great story short, he did. And then last summer, he called me away. He called me away because here's the word he said. He said, I have built my church. And that's what I promised to do through you. It's for the next pastor to lead them into being my church. And I bring this up for only one reason, not to talk about me, but about talk about the church and about God and what he's doing here in this, in the, on the plains. And that is this, that he's, he is, there's one thing to build a church. We all want to be part of a church that's built and we have buildings and we have children's programs and we have this and we have that. But what God's trying to do is to build us up to go be the church. Now, Father, send us out into the world to do the work you have given us to do. And that's radically different. That's following Jesus, and it's radically different than, frankly, what we mostly succumb to, where we go to church. Jesus says, be my church. There's all kinds of scripture reading about what it looks like to follow Jesus. And I have to confess to you, I left my Bible in the car. So I thought I was going to read it all through here, but I think God said, no, David, I left it in the car because I want to focus in on the things I want to focus on and not have you flipping all through the Bible. But I was going into John. I was going to go into um, Philippians. Let's go to Philippians for one moment, and this is going to set the stage for the um, Sermon on the Plain. I always like to do this with folks. If, uh, if you're not super familiar with the Bible, this is where Philippians is at, okay? And uh, I want to read him. I've got to find the right one, right chapter here. This is Paul speaking to us. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort, this is chapter 2, beginning of verse 1. Any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affirmation and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. You know how divided the church is today? Do you know how many different minds we have in the church? We're supposed to have one mind. We're supposed to have one gospel, one spirit. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And now hear about Jesus, God surrendering. what we can't even imagine. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above, that is above every name, 
So in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This same Christ that will hang on a cross, humiliated. No, God was not humiliated. He was glorified in the hatred of man. As his love poured out. In his poverty on the cross, he glorified God. And that brings us to the plane. And now let me see if I can uh, pull that up real quick since I don't have it. Oh, there it is right there. Look at these words. We want to talk about just briefly about what's Jesus saying here. Remember, this is coming right on the heels of being called. He just called his apostles. And his apostles and his disciples are now come down and join people. And if you read this, it's really interesting. He's joined not just his apostles and not just his disciples, but he's joined people from all of Judea and Jerusalem, the very most religious point in all of Israel, the southern kingdom. Oh, but not just there, from the cities of the Gentiles. Gentiles are there. Jesus is coming and the crowds are all there. And he's in the midst of them. And his healing power is going out and, and, and he starts to speak. And this is what he teaches. Blessed are you who are poor. Blessed are you who weep. Blessed are you who hunger. Blessed are you when people hate you on my account. Sounds a lot like, but not exactly like the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are creating a spiritual reality. Blessed are you who, who are poor in spirit. is different than saying, blessed are you who are poor. Is Jesus saying here, and, and, and in the corollary, that is woe, but woe to you who are rich. Is Jesus really saying here it is an attribute to, for us to strive for, to be poor, to be hated, to weep, be hungry? Is that what Jesus is saying? No, I don't think so. I don't think most commentators think that at all. It's it, this great arc that we know, can study the scripture called biblical theology tells us that this story in the face, in the middle of all this great story arc says one thing to us. Blessed are those whose heart are turned over to God. Blessed are those who, who count all things, as Paul says, as loss compared to the unsurpassing truth of Jesus Christ in my life. Blessed are those who understand none of this out here is worth me giving even one day or one minute of my life to compared to this adoration for and service to and following of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus does again in the midst of this great story arc is to say this, if anything keeps you from knowing me, then get rid of it. Cut off your right arm if that's keeping you from knowing me. Pluck out an eye if that's what's keeping you from knowing me. Give it all away, rich young ruler, if that's what's giving, keeping you from knowing me. 
I am the only thing. He says in John in different places, in this world there are tribulations. The world's inheritance, despite how much we cling to it, it's all tribulation. But in me, he says, you have peace. I come to give you my peace, my joy. And so we come back again to this meme I was trying to create, or not, based on what do we really know about what we say. What does it mean to follow Jesus? We say it every week, don't we? Now, Father, send me out into the world. What does it mean to love Jesus more? What does it mean to love the one another as he loves us it means this these things that I grasp tightly white knuckle not one of these things can save me and not one of these things can give me joy or pleasure or the peace of Christ not, not real peace all of these things put a wall between me and the world and God. And that wall looks like this. I meet people, maybe not literally, but there's a difference between looking somebody in the eye and seeing them and kind of looking. Let's say, when we meet the world looking down, or we praise God by just keeping our eyes focused up there. When, when Jesus came to the plain and said, look into my eyes. And when we look into Jesus' eyes, we see his love. We see his death for us, though we were enemies. We were all his enemies at that time. We look into the eyes of Jesus and see the love of God. And like Brian, we start to say, that's how I'm going to meet my neighbor. I'm going to look and see them. They might be my enemy. They might hate me. But Christ loved me. And I will love them. Christ died on the cross. And as Paul said, may we join in. We want to suffer and know Jesus in his dying. We don't have to become poor to please God. Not in numbers. We have to become poor in our heart so that these things count as nothing compared to the all-surpassing love of Jesus Christ. Because, friends, final word, when you look people in the eyes and see needs, Jesus just may call you to give something away. Time, resources, for certain, love. Jesus, make us poor. Make us realize, as Paul did, that all these things, as much as we appreciate them, and God, we can confess as much as we'd be scared to give them up, but Lord, may we know 
that we look forward to the day when those things burn and rot because they are not necessary when we enter into your full presence. Someday, Lord, it's just going to be your love that's going to sustain us with no other needs. Even today, Lord, may that be our prayer, our heart. And Lord, in doing so, may we open up our eyes and see as you saw. May we look into your eyes and see how you love us. And may we look into the eyes of the world and love them as you have loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.